Good to see everyone here. A few things to remember. Our children's church is sort of resumed. And so uh, right before the sermon, uh, we'll dismiss the children. And it's uh, ages 3 through kindergarten. And uh, you'll dismiss them to the lobby back there. And then uh, that you can pick up your kids out in front of the, the right down the hall, uh, the walkway out there um, in front of the preschool. Also, we are uh, starting having our next 101 class. And a number of asked about joining Lakeside. And uh, so we have this Lakeside 101. It goes for four weeks. The first class is October the 4th. It's at 5, uh, 5 p.m. That's on a, um, on a Sunday. And it lasts for about an hour. And so uh, you can go to our website on, and sign up for it there. Uh, call the office. And uh, probably if you've been giving us information as visitors at, at, at one time or the other, you'll probably get a letter explaining to us. So I do want to encourage you uh, to uh, be a part of that. That class is a lot of fun. Um, it is uh, taught by uh, Pastor Taylor and myself, and uh, you get to meet other people and ask all kinds of questions about us. It's, we, we do have a good time with that. Oh. Good morning. Today is a big day. Uh, so today the youth ministry gets to finally kind of go back to our old normal a little bit. Um, so we're really excited about that. So youth is going to meet tonight from 6 to 8. Uh, middle school and high school if you want to drop off we'll go we'll eat upstairs then we'll go downstairs and we'll do our our, our normal things we'll have our lesson we'll have the, the praise band is going to lead worship for us it's going to be really great so come join us um, come be a part of that with us if you're in area 56 you guys meet from four to six today and we're going to have a ball as well so we're going to drop off in the gym if you're in area 56 from four to six and then in the upstairs youth area from six to eight if you are in the youth um, thanks
Now we're at church. Now we're at church. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, God is good, and I'm glad that you are all here. Uh, we are a gospel-driven, mission-centered family of believers. And you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about some misunderstood doctrines again this week in the church as a part of our preaching series. Uh, but now is a time to be called to worship. And I want to call us all to worship by stating together our faith using the Apostles' Creed. And if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to do so now. We'll begin this creed by asking you the question, uh, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated and we will continue to enjoy the ministry of music this morning. Cross at the cross where 
plates at either end of the entrance here, and then we have the boxes um, in the rear there. In, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul is exalting in God's great plan, um, the, the plan of grace, that we are saved not by our works, but we are saved um, by the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes, he says, Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this day counted as those truly blessed. Forsaking our works, embracing your gift of grace, believing on the saving work of our Lord Jesus, our faith counted the righteousness of God in Christ. By grace, this is our assurance. By grace, this is our life. Merciful Lord, teach us to love your law. Teach us also that we cannot satisfy your law. Teach us to know the finished work of the cross that brings relief, joy, and humility. Let our peace with God be an end of the old self and every day a fresh beginning of the new self. In our call to daily repentance, too often we grieve your Holy Spirit. Overcome the noise of our lives with Christ. Help us to remember the blood that cleanses all sin and the grace which subdues our iniquities. Strengthen us to hear Paul's admonition that we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing in all things, let us love the means that you use to gather or to further grace in us and among us, especially your church, the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Harvest in us the fruit of your spirit. Make us devoted to one another in diligent love, persevering in tribulation together, joined for our perfecting and your gospel call to the world. Make us to imitate your son, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as you in Christ have forgiven us. Father, remember us now in our giving. Let us always be faithful in what you have provided us, being content and generous in all things. All this we ask as your joyful people, counted righteous in Christ, praying in his name, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
off they're going to be with Jesus not so with the visible church not everyone who attends a church somewhere is necessarily saved not everyone who's a member of a church somewhere is necessarily saved we have to realize that that every church is made up of some true believers some hypocrites some and and listen probably a hypocrite right here so I I don't mean to say it like that but some people who have falsely professed faith in Jesus right so not everyone in the visible church will be saved. I mean, do you believe, just to make this make sense more, do you believe that every one in, in, in our city, in our country, or in our world who, who joins a church has a saving faith in Jesus? Because I've been around church for a long time, and I know that there, uh, you know, I don't know, have, have you been around church, churches much? Have you, have you seen the people that are in them? I mean, there's got to be some people in that group that are not saved. Right, that they just don't have a saving faith in Jesus. Or what, what if uh, a, a parents are a member of a church and their children do not share in a faith of Jesus Christ? Well, well the truth is, if, if that's the case, then that child is not part of the invisible church, even though they very much are part of the visible church. It's not your parents' faith that saves, it's your faith. Uh, so church membership doesn't save, and there are members of the visible church who are not members of the invisible church and therefore they are not the bride of christ i remember what uh i think you're familiar with this verse it's matthew 7 21 through 23 and it's jesus talking about people who thought they were saved but they weren't and it says like this not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord Do we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Apparently, going to church doesn't necessarily mean that you are part of the bride of Christ. Nor does prophesying in Jesus' name or casting out demons or doing mighty works. There's a church we see, which is the visible church. It's a church that I love. But not everyone in the visible church will be of God's people. Only those who, by grace, are saved through faith in Jesus. Okay? So we've got invisible church. We've got the visible church. And the third way we see ecclesia used in the Bible is to talk about the local church. And uh, Lakeside would be considered one of those local churches. I mean, a local church is just like any you've ever been to. A body of believers that meets in one specific location. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 16, 19, you have this idea of um, 
these churches in Asia, so it says, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings to the Lord. You've got one local church sending greetings to another local church in Corinth. You begin to see that that's how it's used there to describe the local church. It's not talking about the church invisible or the church visible. It's talking about the church local. So there are three ways the Bible talks about churches, the invisible church, the visible church, and the local church. So the question at hand this morning, can we make a biblical argument for membership in the local church? That's what we're talking about, okay? We're not talking about the, uh, the invisible church or the visible church. We're talking about the local church, lakeside, a church like us. And I think we can, and I'm prepared to do so this morning. One of the places I want to read together is from Acts chapter 2. And if you've been reading the Bible for very long, you're not going to be surprised by that. Acts 2 is a place where we see the formation of, of the local church. We see it start to come to life and it's described to us. And we're going to read it together in a second. But before, let me just give you some context about what's happening here. Peter, uh, the, the great apostle, is in, in Jerusalem and it's Pentecost. And it's not just any Pentecost, it's the Pentecost. It's the day when it happened. It's like the Holy Spirit, tongues like fire coming down, miracles, uh, speaking out in, in other tongues. And Peter looks at this as a great opportunity. He says, like the Spirit's falling, what greater chance and what greater uh, opportunity is there to speak the gospel than when the Spirit itself is testifying to who Jesus is? That's obviously what the Spirit does. He's, he goes, look, these guys, they have validity. Their message has validity. The Spirit is testifying through, through the speaking of tongues that what comes next, the gospel is going to be true. And so Peter gives this great sermon and he talks about Jesus and the resurrection, and he's speaking to Jews. They're in Jerusalem. It's just a, it's a bunch of Jews, and it's a tough time. It's soon after Jesus has been crucified, and, and, and he's talking about the history leading up, and the Spirit is moving. You can see in these guys' eyes that they're starting to grasp, oh, this is all true. All the speaking in tongues, all, this is true. This, this is truth. And also, Peter gets to the end of his sermon, and he wraps up by saying this, and I hope you can grasp the significance for the Jewish audience, when they hear the finale of his sermon, he says this, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. Can you imagine the dagger in the heart if you were a Jew in that moment to realize that you have crucified the Christ? Um, the Holy Spirit testifies to the validity of this word. Paul lays out the truth for him. He says, you crucified God's anointed. Can you, can you even imagine that? And so what I want to do is, is read what happens after Peter preaches that sermon to them that stirs their hearts. We're going to read from Acts 2, 37 through 47. And as we do, I want to invite you to stand if you're able. And we will just pray for uh, understanding of the scripture and for the Holy Spirit to do the same thing in our hearts that he did there uh, in Jerusalem, which is just kind of quicken us to hear the word of God. So uh, let's pray and then we'll read together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit which calls us. We thank you for the word which, uh, which teaches us and trains us to be followers of you. Father, reveal your word to us now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Acts 2, beginning in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers! What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized. And they were added to that day to about 3,000 souls. Beginning verse 42 again. This is a description of the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. very last thing we read was verse 47. What happened when people, hearts were changed? What, what did God do with them? Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's talking about the church. When people were saved, they were saved into the church. I have this sneaky suspicion that the coronavirus is going to train people to watch church from the couch. You know what I mean? I have the sneaky suspicion that all the churches in America have figured out a way to broadcast their sermons online and that people have gotten more and more comfortable with the freedom that comes with being able to do church wherever they want and whenever they want. And now more than ever do I expect Christians to look at me and to say, why do I need to be a member of a local church? After all, we can just watch church online. And when we do, we still get the same word proclaimed. We even sang along with the songs in our living room. So what's the difference? Why do I need to be a member of a local church? What what value is that going to bring on the backside of all this? Now, I've got to be honest. I I understand that that we... uh, are in a place where people do not feel universally safe to attend church. And I understand some of you stay away for, for health reasons, and I just want to assure you that I'm not talking about you. We support that. That's, that makes sense, and our elders are, are behind that. I'm talking about those able-bodied people who have decided that online church is synonymous with church membership. It's not. And we're going to discuss why today. Here's my question. Going back to that Acts 2 and that sermon that Peter preached. And remember, he ended by saying, Jesus, whom you crucified. And we, oh man, hearts had to have been melted. And the crowd of Jews, they, they turned to Peter and they turned to the apostles. And, and the crowd says to the apostles, this is what they say to him, I quote, Brothers. What shall we do? And it's a very fitting question. Our sins make us complicit in the death of Jesus. What do we do? And, and what you notice right there is their submission in their hearts. And it's not just a submission to Jesus. There's a submission to the leadership of the church. These baby Christians want to know. They're real honest. They want to know, okay, now what do we do then? How do we, how do we come out of this hole that we feel like we're in? In Acts 2.38, Peter tells them, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. If they're able to really be at that place where they say, uh, brothers, what shall we do? That's indication right there that they've already had the, the grace of Christ in their heart. They've already had this calling. Because no one would say that apart from Christ kind of putting that in their heart, that repentance there, uh, that, that desire to follow Jesus, that, that pull towards him. They never would have been able to ask, what do we do had their hearts not been opened? Now, what's interesting is, what does Peter tell them to do? He says, repent and be baptized. And I'm going to talk a lot about baptism in the next, uh, next week. But I want to say this. Baptism is the sacrament by which you join the church. Did you know that? It's not a standalone thing. Baptism is a sacrament by which you join the church. And the first thing that Peter tells them when they're converted, when Christ moves in their heart, is be baptized. And that, that would assume, if you understand the sacraments, it would assume that meant join a church. Baptism is meant to be the engrafting into the body of Christ and engrafting into the church. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We're talking about the church visible there. 
We're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek. Slaves are free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. It seems that after preaching the gospel, when these Jews ask the apostles, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized into the church. Allow me uh, to use this illustration that came from from Ronald Barnes, and he says this. He says, "Um, what would you think of a mother and father who after their newborn child was born, they would just abandon that child and leave them to fend for themselves. That's the equivalency of this illustration of being baptized and not joining a church. It's like leaving a newborn infant by itself. What does Jesus do with his newborn spiritual children who've been born again? He brings them into the church. A child needs to be raised up to maturity, and the church is what Christ uses to raise up his children. Membership in the local church is about being raised up in Christ. And and just like the crowd had the apostles to help them figure out what to do, the local church has under-shepherds who guide the flock. So, the reason we have membership, and this is important, so listen. The reason we have membership is so that there is no doubt that you are part of the flock, and we will treat you as such. If you are a member at Lakeside, for instance, let's just use us. If you're a member at Lakeside, you can expect spiritual care from the church. You can expect the word preached. You can expect accountability. Uh, You can expect to belong. And the way that we decide who to give those things to is basically who are our members. And most people like the spiritual care part. They love, they want someone when their mom dies to call them and say, listen, how are you? Is everything going well? Can we pray with you? If they're going into the hospital, they want a pastor or an elder to call them and say, listen, can we pray for you before the surgery? If they're having problems in their marriage, they like the idea that they can walk into a pastor's office and say, hey, listen, will you help us talk through this? They love the spiritual care stuff. And they love the belonging stuff. They love having a church family. We talk about that all the time. They love having a group of people that, 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 that will come, and when, when their children have babies, throw them a baby shower. That's what it means to belong and to have a church family, and that's very much what we have here at Lakeside. But that being said, most people reject the idea of accountability. They don't want that. The big part of the doctrine of church membership, you, you can't... Listen, I I didn't set out to write a a sermon on church discipline, but you can't ever talk about church membership without talking about church discipline. They go hand in hand. It's part of the purpose of church membership is so that you understand how to bring discipline and oversight and accountability. So listen, if you visit a different church every week, you don't go the same one. You just go to one every week. You just, you're looking around for, 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 for the next best sermon or song or whatever. Who's responsible for holding you accountable? No one. Who is your shepherd? No one. Who are you going to go see when, uh, when your marriage falls apart? Well, maybe you have someone in the community, but you probably don't know anyone at those churches. Who's going to bring food when your mother dies? But we're talking here about accountability. Who's going to be your shepherd? Truth is, some people really like it that way. They reject church membership because they reject oversight. They don't want to join a church because they don't want anyone looking at them. They don't want to overseeing them. And, and I assume somebody might say to me, Tyson, well, Jesus is my shepherd. The Bible says so. It says he is the good shepherd. And I would say, well, yeah, you're right. That's what the Bible says. It says Jesus is the good shepherd. However, I want to show you today that Christ uses the church to shepherd his people. The good shepherd gives people to the church to be shepherded. I'm going to prove that to you in Scripture. We're going to look at it together. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. See what it says here. He's talking to the elders. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What does he exhort them to do? To shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. And then he kind of tells them how to do it. It's like, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. I think that's really important. But being examples 
to the flock. There's a way in which elders are called to live their life that like encourage people and like feeds them and shepherds them. You know, part of part of being a shepherd is, is walking the path so that the sheep know where to go. That's, that's part of it. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, when Jesus is there, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So here's what's happening. Christ, the chief shepherd, has appointed elders in the local church to be under shepherds. Elders have been charged to shepherd the flock until the chief shepherd appears. And Christ has given elders the responsibility. Scripture says that they're actually held accountable for overseeing the flock. They, they, they watch over church members the way a shepherd watches over sheep. Now, stick with me for just a moment because we have to make a really important distinction. Let's just say, for instance, someone is, is acting a fool at the local Kroger. Right? They're, just, they're out there acting a fool. They're just running around in their underpants insulting older women. And, and that person's not a member of Lakeside. What responsibility does an elder of Lakeside have to bring correction in that situation? None. Right? We, don't give our, we don't give our elders badges and send them out into the community to solve the world's problems and to like, arrest streakers at Kroger. That's just not, not what we do. So elders, if, if strangers are running around Kroger, stay out of it. Call the police. It's not your business. But let's say the elders hear that a member of Lakeside has been running around naked at Kroger and insulting women. Well, guess what? The game's changed. The elders have been charged by Christ to be under shepherds. They've been charged to exercise oversight. Uh, How do they know who they're responsible for? That's the big question. How do they know who they're responsible for? What tells them who they're supposed to give oversight to and who they're not supposed to give oversight to? Church membership. Is it important? It is for us. And it's not just about about discipline. It's also about that, that care. But they go hand in hand. You know, when you come to be a member at Lakeside, you become more than just someone who visits occasionally. You're not just a friend of the church. But those people who are members have come and sat with the elders. And they've said that they want to be part of our church family and they want to be mentored here. And they want to grow in Christ here and they want spiritual care here. And they they really want to be shepherded here. And people who have come before our elders, they have pledged to be Christians. They've given a, a profession of faith, and they've pledged to be part of the flock here. Uh, the reason that church membership ends up in a sermon series on misunderstood doctrines is because this whole idea of church membership is so misunderstood these days. Too often, people are looking for a place uh, to be served and entertained And they're not looking for a place to be shepherded. What do you think happens uh, when elders go to a church member, they go to them, in order to exercise their biblical responsibility of oversight? Remember, Jesus told the elders, don't don't be domineering, but give the sheep oversight. Because one day that chief shepherd's going to return and there's... There's a sense that the under-shepherds are going to have to give an account for how they did that. The elders are going to have to give an account for how they shepherd the church. And when elders are faithful and they, they, they do the work to be biblically faithful, they go to a church member to exercise this oversight. What do you think happens most of the time? What's the response of church membership most of the time when elders give them oversight? Well, if, if the members are, have this expectation that, that the church is supposed to entertain them and serve them, what will inevitably happen when oversight comes is that they will inevitably leave the church in anger. I've seen it happen. It happens all the time. Embarrassment, anger at the elders. Uh, but the elders have a responsibility, biblical responsibility. But do you know what else? The members of a local church also have a biblical responsibility. Let's look at it in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Here's what Scripture charges church members. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The elders will give an account for how they shepherd the sheep, but make no mistake, friends. Church members will give an account as to how they submitted to the under-shepherds or elders. So I just got to ask you this. You think I'm making this stuff up? I mean, because a lot of times when I preach tough sermons like this, there's someone who's going to meet me at the door and go, well, we're all entitled to our opinions. And I, like, I was like, oh, this is great, great, we're all entitled to our opinions. But I just sat here and read you from Scripture. I'm not, I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm reading to you from the Bible. That you understand the idea of the relationship between elders and members. Elders are responsible for having tough conversations, and you're responsible for being tough enough to respect them and, and be... Just, just be joyful when they bring it. But make no mistake, it's going to be a tough conversation. Look again at Hebrews thirteen seventeen. if we can put that back up. I don't know if it may still be up. The Scripture's words to members, Let the elders watch over your soul with joy, not with groaning. If you groan about it, it's of no advantage to you. I'm just going to try to summarize today for us. There's been a lot in moved in a lot of directions to try to cover the idea of church membership as a doctrine. Um, When Christians are born again, they are called to faith in Jesus. Peter says they should repent and be baptized. And baptism is more than just a profession of faith. It is that, but it's more than that. And I'll talk a lot about baptism next week, but baptism is linked to membership in in a church. We are baptized into the body, Scripture says. The reason is that as spiritual infants, Christ has provided the church for our maturity and our nurture. Uh, Through the church, Jesus provided us with an abundant means of grace. We have the word preached. We have prayer. We have fellowship with other believers and, and belonging. We have biblical oversight that comes from elders. The reason that church membership is important is so that elders charged with overseeing the flock can know for sure which sheep they are responsible for. Which sheep they are to care for, to call on when they're sick, which sheep they are to gently oversee. You know what happens to a Christian who never joins a local church? They have a hard time maturing from being an infant in Christ. There's no one there to oversee them. Generally, as a whole, this is. I mean, we could all imagine some strange scenario where there was somebody in China who had to hide from the police so they could never join a church. But, but for us in the land of the free, the, the Bible presumes that Christians would be members of local churches. And they would partake in the means of grace and submit to the Word of God and, and submit to the leadership of the elders. I want to give you this one piece of unsolicited and maybe unwanted advice this morning, and then I'll quit talking. Find a church and become a member of it. Visit for a season. Make sure they preach the gospel. Make sure they're humble and kind. Uh, Ask your questions about what they believe. Find out, does it line up with what you think Scripture teaches to the best of your ability? Get to know their elders. Who are these under-shepherds that are there? Do they have sweet dispositions, sweet spirits? Make sure their elders have put themselves under Christ. And if you find that place, when you find that place, put yourself under their oversight. You might get all the benefits that Christ has for his children in the church. There's a a, a scripture, I can't remember, or excuse me, a quote. I can't remember who said it. It was one of the church fathers. I bet Westerner Jim probably knows. But but the quote went like this. It's a, You can't have God as your father without having the church as your mother. And I mean, I just think there's a sense of of truth to that. Christ gave the church to us for our maturity and nurture. This has been the doctrine of church membership. Thanks be to God for his great care of us in our church. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we do thank you for the way in which you meet our needs. First off, we, we thank you for the, the blood of Jesus. Uh, Father, we do not find a righteousness through any work of our own. 
We don't find peace with you through our own work. We find peace with you only by the blood of the Lamb. Praise be to you, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Father, we thank you for the church and for those who are called to be elders. It's a tough job. But we pray over our elders. We give them wisdom, Lord. Give them gentleness. Put them under Christ. That as we put ourselves under them, God, they would be to us good under shepherds. God, guard our hearts a bit uh, against rebellion, because I do think there's a sense of rebellion in the American spirit, Lord, where we, we reject authority. You give good gifts, and the church is certainly one of those. Praise be to you, God, our Father. And the church said, amen. Let's sing a little bit more, or at least they will. Y'all don't. Ecclesia, which means the church, appears in the New Testament. Um, sometimes it means the invisible church. Sometimes it means the visible church. And sometimes it's talking about local churches such as Lakeside. And listen, here's the deal. I, I believe very much that, that, that Christ's desire for all of his children who are born again is to be a member of the local church. And thus, a member of the visible church. And very hopefully, a member of the invisible church, Right? Um, and, if, and if you are uh, here, and uh, I pray that, that God has been gracious to you in giving you uh, good leadership. Uh, we have some great uh, leaders here at this church who are gentle in the way in which they shepherd. And hopefully, not only do you learn from them by the correction that they bring, but you learn from them by the way that they live their lives as people who love the Lord. Um, go now, and as you do, take with you the love of God the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Let's once more enjoy the ministry of music. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. 
It's been such a joy to worship with you this week. Until next week, God bless.